Welcome to another Play On podcast from the Beer, Rap and Bants team. Um, my name's Ash. I'll be hosting today with Ben being away. Please check us out on our, on our Instagram, which is podcast play on and also at beer rap and bants two guests as always so cal how you doing not too bad how you doing yourself ash um i'm doing better than my team but we'll get on to that we'll get on to that um and ryan how you doing today i'm very well thank you yeah um you've got a lot of talk for us don't you today um no i don't have much talk i mean i've pre i know previously on this this show i've been bantering arsenal a lot but now it's time to have a serious conversation okay okay we like to hear it um so yeah everyone please tune in we are on all good platforms and some rush ones as well um but yeah just look out for us um for your fortnightly football fix um so we're going to start with some sad news actually um with the recent passing of Gerald Hulier, the Liverpool, the former liverpool manager who also managed france um the national team he won a domestic cup treble which everyone called the fake treble which was a couple of years after united's real treble but to win three um to win three cup competitions being i think it was the Wolverton cup the fa cup and the Euro- and the europa league all in one season is an amazing achievement so um condolences to him and the family and all those who sent in their tributes um i know he had a massive effect on french football as well as um football in in merseyside um anything you guys want to add on that um, yeah, I think he was a legendary coach, um, and it's, it's always sad to see uh, a football legend passing. He had a great rivalry with, with Arsene Wenger when um, Arsene was at Arsenal and uh, Julier was at Liverpool. So I always remember that. And uh, the fans had a bit of banter between themselves as well. Like um, uh, Arsenal fans used to call Julier a fake Arsene Wenger and stuff like that, especially when he started signing lots of young French players. Um, I remember a lot of banter with Liverpool fans that, you know, their Letalics and, and their guys weren't as good Chiru. as our guys. Chiru as well, you isn't know. it? Bruno Chiru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some game, but it just didn't quite make him. work out for him at, um, at Liverpool, did it? Um, but um, yeah, yeah, it's sad to see that he's passed. I remember he had some, some heart problems years ago. And um, I found this article in the Liverpool Echo, which is a, a really, really amazing article. If anybody wants to read a bit more about um, Gerard Houllier, they actually uh, interviewed him in the summer before he passed. So it might be one of his last ever interviews. Um, and uh, yeah, he talks a lot about uh, the comparison between himself and Jurgen Klopp and, you know, the, the Liverpool days and, and the current days. It's, it's really good. I really recommend everybody goes to check that out. And, uh, yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace to uh, a football legend. Yeah, man. It's always a shame. I feel like this year, we just, every single time we've done the episode, there's been another great that's gone. I think we've had Maradona previously. Just so many great, great football figures have kind of passed on this year. Um, and, yeah, we just hope that there's not more to kind of report in the, in the near future as such. Um, Speaking about like greats from the international stage, we're going to move on to our season review, which is going to start with the FIFA Best Eleven. So um, the the Ballon d'Or team, which kind of runs um, the the honourable mention of the best player of the year, came together and put um, an eleven of the best eleven players across football that they think is just like the greatest team ever. Um, and actually, we spoke about kind of Maradona earlier on. He's one of the players who are, who are involved in that. But there's a number of kind of players in there who are just like exceptional, like literally legends. We use we use the word legends a lot, but this list 
that encompasses just some of the greatest players that we've ever seen. Um, that's kind of out there. Have you guys seen the list already? Yeah, it's literally the elite in football. When you look at the finalists, I mean, we're talking Cristiano Ronaldo, 31 goals uh, at Juventus. Um, mm. And uh, Lionel Messi uh, finishing top scorer with 25 goals in La Liga. Um, yeah, you know, the list uh, is crazy. Thiago Alcantara, Kevin De Bruyne, Sadio Mane, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar, Sergio Ramos, Mo Salah, and Virgil van Dijk. Um, but there's one that I haven't uh, named yet, and that's the guy that won it, Robert Lewandowski. Yep, so the Bayern, the Bayern Munich striker who helped his team to win the Champions League, they also won the league. Um, yeah, just an exceptional season from him. I feel a bit sorry for him because actual Ballon d'Or has been cancelled this year. So this mm. is this is kind of like a different kind of award that's been given to him. But he, is he the outstanding player this year, Ryan? Um, absolutely. I mean, he's got something like 53 goals in 47 appearances. Um, <clears throat> he is, without doubt, the best striker in the world. He's had, well, the amount of goals speak for themselves. He is just world-class. Mm. he's world-class and there hasn't been anyone like him in world football I know we have Messi and Ronaldo and we've been hopping on about them for such a long time now sometimes we take them for granted but what Lewandowski has done is greater than what they've achieved I think Ooh. the reason people really like Messi and Ronaldo is for the football skills they're really pleasing to the eye um, maybe later on in his career Ronaldo was kind of uh, evolved his game into becoming more of a, a clinical finisher and less of a kind of a showboating type of a player. Um, but with with Messi, it's definitely, you watch the game, he's, he's got the ball at his feet, he's entertaining the crowd, he's running at players, you know, and that's what everybody wants to see. But with Lewandowski, he's just like a goal-scoring machine. He just puts the ball in the back of the net consistently at an unprecedented rate. And he's actually the first attacker besides Messi and Ronaldo to win FIFA's best award since Ronaldinho in 2005. Um, and that's saying something to to be someone to actually interrupt the dominance of of uh, Messi and Ronaldo there. Um, and um, and there's loads of other categories that the FIFA Best Awards um, hand out. There's you know the the best women's player, which went mm. to Lucy Bronze. Congratulations to England's Lucy Bronze. She's dope, you know. She so she won the Champions League with Leon, came back and then won the FA Cup with Man City as well. Come all on. in one season, like yeah, she's a she's an outstanding talent. Um, and I think he's going to, I think there's a big view that very soon she'll deliver Man City's first league title to them. There so, you go. Yeah, yeah, good. And you've got good. Jurgen Klopp being named the, the best men's coach uh, um, two years in a row now. So I'm against this. I don't think he should have won it. I think the Hansi Flip guy from Bayern Munich should definitely have won that. Um, based, based on what? So remember... Andy Flick came in during like Bayern Munich had a very bad start this like last season, like they were they were pretty terrible. Like they 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 kind of got the manager. I think cause remember um the, the Everton manager now Ancelotti was their coach at the start of the season. He went wasn't working. Andy Flick came in as the caretaker manager, done so well, got the job full time, and moved them from a mid-table kind of German team when they were underachieving to go on to win the league and to win the Champions League? Well, the candidates for the, for the best coach award were Zidane, 
Lopetegui, um, Hans Flick, and Marcello Bielsa. But the reasons uh, listed on the FIFA website for Jurgen Klopp being named the best is, you know, is due to, you know, Liverpool winning the league with a club record 99 points, which is the second most in the competition's history. Also playing an exciting brand of football um, and ending the club's 30-year wait for a top-flight title. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the significance of mm. of his trophy wins <laughs> there, maybe maybe having a bit more weight into what the other coaches have done. I, I hear it. I just think, I just think. Listen, what that what Klopp has done is amazing. But for 2020, like I would take the the, the Bayern manager personally. But I don't know. That's why. There's, that's what. That's what you love about football. It's different. There's, there's there's even possibly a better argument for Bielsa to bring leads from. Um, back back from where they were. Yeah, back to the Premier League for the first because, time in 16 years. I mean, because the, the, the greatest team in Germany's history having a lull, it's still having the best players, but then, you know, bouncing back, it's it's not hard to, you know, not, not far-fetched to think that anyone could have done that or any yeah. manager could get in that position. So it's, it's um, doing great things with lesser tools for Bielsa. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. I, I, I hear the argument. I hear the argument. And that's not my anti-Liverpool bias as well, because I've been told I'm anti-Liverpool, and I'm not. I just thought that, from what I've seen this season, the shift from where they were to where they are now, I would have given it to him, but... Hold on. Yeah, what was he going to say, Cal? I think, no, I think you've got, definitely got a strong case for, for Hansi Flick there, because, uh, it, as it says here, he's won the Bundesliga, the Champions League, the German Cup, the German Super Cup, and the, the UEFA Super Cup. And he's only been uh, in charge for less than a year as well mm. um, at the time that, you know, they were judging this. So it's amazing what he's done in such a short space of time. It's crazy. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly who's in charge of judging this. Um, but, you know, you've also got the best FIFA women's coach, who is Serena Weigman. Um, so yeah, shout out to to all of the winners. These are the people at the top of the game, the very top of football right now. Yes, don't don't. And staying on that theme of like kind of the top and the exceptional players, um, the Ballon d'Or put out a dream team. So the best eleven players across the history of the game. Um, I'm going to run through the team, and I want you guys to tell me if I missed anyone out. If there's any one player who you think should be in this team. All right. So the goalkeeper was Levi Ashin. We then had Cafu. Beckenbauer and Maldini as a back three. Two kind of holding midfielders of Xavi and Lofa Mateus. Then we had Maradona, Pele, playing off the wings, but nominatively like just attacking with a front three of Messi, Ronaldo and Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, is there one player who you think should have been in that? in that group of players who wasn't kind of included? Um, I could easily take out a couple of players. I could take out Pele quite easily. Okay. Um, quite easily to be replaced yeah. by... You could replace Ronaldinho. I think that Pele was great for his time, but this, this, is, a, this is a weird dream team to mix errors. It's a yeah, weird dream team crazy. to mix errors. It, it, it bugs me. And also seeing it... Seeing it Seeing the, the team on paper, you've got like a 3-2-2-1 two, 
Why? <laughs> what, what is this? It's so top heavy. So do you do you see Madonna or well, sorry Madonna Maradona or Pele tracking back? Yeah, I think Bayern. You go on. No, even though I was trying to say it. It was really weird because I tried to piece it together. Like a, four, it's not a four-three-three. It's like it's a, like you said. It's, it's a three-four-three. It's a three-four-three with Javi and Lothar in the middle. That's solid. Yeah, but it's like it's, it's not solid. They'll, they'll concede a lot of goals. I think this team would lose to Bayern Munich right now. Um, Maldini, Beckenbauer, and Cafu at the back. That's solid, man. Not in this Caffey, formation. Cafu's basically a right winger, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he was a good defender. He could play right centre back with Maldini playing left centre back. That team is solid, and and Javi, you know, he's an intelligent player. He, he, he can sniff out uh, interceptions and, and win the ball. You probably have to drop Mateus back into centre back, play Xavi as the holder, and then it plays as a four three three. That to me makes more sense. Mm. That makes more sense, but it still isn't the greatest team. I feel like they had. I feel like they had to put Pele in there, or they had to put Ronaldo. I don't think I'd put put Ronaldo in this team. What R nine? R nine. I don't think I put R nine in this team. Either. Wow. I love you, Ryan. <laughs> no, 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 seriously, I don't, I don't think I'd put him in this team. I think I'd rather put Batistuta in there. I mean, I, I love Batty Gold, but I mean, come on. R9 was a whole different kettle of fit. Like, he had more game than Batistuta. Bro, Yeah, no but with, those, with Ronaldo and Messi beside him, I don't, it's, it's just it's too much. I'm thinking tactical. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that tactically, this team would lose to Bayern Munich right now. I think it's that I think they've, they've picked this formation so they could kind of shoehorn all these fantastic names into an 11. Yeah. But I don't think this is a this is a great team, and this this it doesn't make sense. I I don't think they need to have Pele in there at all. Mm. Um, I think they've just kind of done it because oh he's a, he scored two thousand goals, even though a lot of them were like back garden friendlies. Um, <laughs> oh, the disrespect! <laughs> no, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I love it, but you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's not for me, man. Oh man, you know what? We're here for the opinions. We're definitely here for that. Trust me. Um, I I would have got Zidane in there somewhere personally. Like Zidane's my favorite player ever, so I would I would have thrown him in there, and that actually makes sense for the balance of this for the balance of the team. Um, so yeah, that's what I would have done. How any any one particular player that you would have thrown into this list? No, I I think you know, I, I mean it, it doesn't actually say in this article here from uh, from Marco dot com. It doesn't actually say exactly how they've come up with this list. What I'm assuming is it's a list of people who've won the Ballon d'Or the most amount of times but it might not it might not be if it is that then it makes sense because it's just like okay you've won it the most um but if it isn't that if it's just a random list of people that have won it um yeah I don't know man I mean it, oh, no, it, it's, I, got, it's got to be Ballon d'Or winners you're right yeah and so you know for example somebody like um uh, somebody like, say, Luis Figo maybe could go into a team of greats, but has he won the Ballon d'Or enough times to be considered? A, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Top player. Okay. Top. Another top player that I actually uh, forgot to mention is Son Huang Min, who actually picked up the Puskas Award, part of the, the FIFA Best Awards uh, categories, uh, for that amazing goal that he scored where he picked up the ball on the edge of his own 18 yard box. And then he was just running and running and running <laughs> and he buried it. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. He's on his forest gump. 
I wasn't a big fan of this goal. I don't think he should have won the Puskas. Um, for me, it's just him running fast in the straight line. Mm. Wasn't so so much. Does it remind a, a you of that goal that? Does it remind you of that goal that Martinelli scored against Chelsea? Is that is that why you don't? That's why you don't like it, isn't it? No, that Martinelli uh, goal was, was 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 rubbish in my opinion because Kante, <laughs> Kante slipped. If, if Kante hadn't slipped and he made it past him, one hundred percent. But that Kante slip fair. was it was more unfortunate than anything else. But I love Martinelli as a player. Yeah, fair. I oh, think I, lo- I love Son as a player. Sonaldo for me, he's one of the best players in the Premier League, 100%. and uh, and I'm just glad to see him be recognised like this. Uh, and to win the Puskas. So I think he could play for anybody. He could play for Real Madrid. He could play for Bayern Munich. He's a quality player. I was thinking this, but I can't really see him going to another team. Is that I can't see him in another shirt now. Um, I think I think it depends. Like if he if he if he continues here, and a team needs a wide forward with a guaranteed goal return, someone will go to get him. I don't think it will be anyone in England, but you may see. I don't know, like a like a Real Madrid coming to look for him. They they come to look for someone like Hazard. They've come to look for Bell. Why wouldn't they come and look for someone like Son? See, the, the one thing I've come to understand about football at certain clubs is there's a certain degree of politics involved, um, and there's a certain profile they look for. So it it might just be that Son doesn't fit the profile of certain clubs. If 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 you know what I mean. So top player. You know, maybe just not for us, not our type of a player is is probably how they would look at it. I know there's been certain signings at Real Madrid in the past that have been good players, but, you know, people just didn't take to them and, and they weren't successful. Maybe, uh, but if you're undeniable, you make it work. So even like Luka Modric, when he went there, he wasn't, he didn't have a very good first season. He's now become one of the, like, arguably one of their most outstanding, like their best central midfielders ever. So I think, I think once you go there, as long as you, you're good enough, you get to a point where you become undeniable and people have to kind of respect you. Personally, I think Modric is a perfect Real Madrid type of player. Um, whether or not they would come in for Son it remains to be seen. Uh, I think he could he could play for Real Madrid. I think he has the talent to do that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, we'll stay on the Premier League theme and go through the results from yesterday. Um, we'll start at Selhurst Park. Um, who saw this scoreline coming? Ryan, I'll go to you first. Did you see a 7-0? <laughs> um, no, I saw Crystal Palace giving and Liverpool a bit more of a hard time. We've seen Zaha and Eze work really well together. Uh, Eze being a, sort of like um alternative Zaha, but the same. Oh, hello. <laughs> Please carry on. One second. No worries. Um, Cal, just while that's rectified, 7-0 Liverpool versus Palace. Wow. What just, can just you wow. say? I mean, as an Arsenal fan, you don't really want to uh, talk bad about any other team right now because it's a bit like um, those with glass houses shouldn't throw <laughs> stones. Um, but Crystal Palace will will probably be having nightmares like when they wake up t- today. They wouldn't have had a lot of sleep last night. Um, and um, I mean, Liverpool were good. Liverpool were really, really good. But Roy Hodgson usually sets up these teams to be really defensively strong. So mm. I was surprised that a Roy Hodgson team could, could get spanked 7-0. But what I did notice was that Liverpool were actually back. I saw Robertson on the pitch. I saw mm. Alexander-Arnold on the pitch. I saw Mane on the pitch. I saw Salah on the... Like, Henderson, 
2020 has been such a crazy year. Bobby Firmino is even scoring goals in 2020. <laughs> so, so, I mean... Are Liverpool just back? Is that what it is? And was, was, were Crystal Palace the unfortunate team to feel the wrath of Liverpool at their full force after being, you know, half of a side uh, for so long? Here's, here's the thing, though, just on that. I don't, Liverpool aren't back at all. Mm. Liverpool aren't back. Van Dijk's not back. Um, you got Fabinho filling in, who's doing a great job, by the way. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure Joe Gomez is out. Um, Thiago's played, what, two or three games? Yeah, and for them to come and dominate Crystal Palace in such a way, a Crystal Palace team that I thought had been performing really well lately, with as I said, Zaha and Eze, kind of dominating things on the wings, it was, it was a real show of strength from Liverpool that I don't think we'd seen yet this season. It's a, it's an interesting one because obviously, if you look at their last four fixtures, they beat Tottenham in the midweek game, which was a big win. They had that, that weird draw against Fulham where you kind of expected them to have beat them. But then prior to that, they beat Wolves 4-0, the same Wolves team that managed to beat Chelsea in the week. So Liverpool have kind of still been there. They just haven't really like maybe hit the top level. But I think in their last two games, they absolutely battered Spurs. And as much as Spurs uh, had a couple of, of chances on the break, they were the, they were the dominant team. They should have been 2 or 3-0 up before Song kind of got the goal to make it 1-1. And then yesterday was just them just completely flexing. Palace were completely complicit. They were awful. Like, they were absolutely just tepid and just didn't do anything. But Liverpool have almost said, you know what? And they've done it last season as well during December. That's when they really ran away from everyone and said, you know what? We're going to show our might across the Christmas period. And they look like they're going to be doing that again. Go on, Ryan. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I mean, those are, those are some good results. I don't feel like they they they, they dominate Tottenham. I think that um, Tottenham allowed them to play the way they, they played. But I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't see them really unlocking many chances against Tottenham. Um, and the, the in, their inconsistency over the season here and there, obviously it's been understandable because they've been missing players. But the bottom line is, this was a real statement uh, from a Liverpool team that people were, Kind of starting to doubt. Everyone started thinking, could, could Tottenham win the league? Like, has everyone forgotten that Liverpool's still a, a, a thing? A lot, a lot of com- the conversations have switched to Tottenham and Chelsea, but Liverpool just like, okay, we are, we are actually still Liverpool. Mm. And they've made a, a really big statement this this week. And I feel like I'd hate to... Um, Liverpool's a team I'd hate to play against right now. Yeah. They, they, they seem like they've kind of just got themselves into the island of this is where we win the league. That's that's the feeling I'm getting because they remember they rested Salah. He came on, absolutely killed me on fantasy. Came on for like, was it 23 minutes? Got two goals and an assist. They yeah, they've been able they've been able to. Oh great, great. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they've been able to kind of like take a couple of people out, even though they have had so many people out. Because remember, Jota's out, Gomez is out, Matip hasn't been 100% fit. Trent's only just come back. Allison's been in and out of the team. Fabinho's had to go to centre back. There's been no Thiago. There's there's a lot, and I think it does show just how strong that squad has become. Yeah, I so would say they... strength and depth. I think mm. Ryan made a comment about Thiago not being there and and others, and so it's it's not saying that Liverpool are actually back. But for me, Thiago's a newcomer and he hasn't actually cemented mm. himself as like a week in week out star. He's just been a squad player so far, and. 
you know, Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Cato, that is a strong midfield. Mm. Like, that could beat anybody. That could contest with the best of them out there. Uh, Fabinho and Matip at, at centre-half. Okay, maybe not the best centre-half, but it's a solid pairing. You mm. know, they, they, they've been playing well and and winning games for Liverpool this season. And then you've got Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, which are obviously their, their first two back, and then Alisson back as well. So, for me, it was a very strong Liverpool team, and I feel like, I feel like the, the rest of the league needs to be worried right now. 100%. And also, I think we need to give a shout-out to um, Curtis Jones, who's kind of come in as a young player and actually mm-hmm. stands his authority on, the, like, on that team. He was, he was very good against Tottenham. And he was probably their best player against Fulham as well, even though it was a disappointing result. So, yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool looks set to, to, to run away with this league, which I didn't really expect anything else, if I'm honest. Shout out to that forgotten man, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. He came yeah, off the came bench back. late in the game. And he's someone I haven't seen in Liverpool shirt for a while. He's injured. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if he can get back up to the level he was at uh, last season, um, he's another one that could be in contention for trying to get himself into the... They've, got, they've actually got some players now. Yeah, know? man. He's got a bit of a squad there. They're Imagine. cold. They're cold. Um, th- what the team we thought were going to be their main rivals was Man City. Um, they managed to get a 1-0 win away um, to Southampton yesterday with Sterling scoring from a De Bruyne assist. But it doesn't look right. There's something There's something wrong at City at the moment. Cal, did you watch the game? I didn't know. Um, I, I might have kind of like had it on in the background while I was playing FIFA or something mm. like that, but I didn't really, really watch it. Um, so I haven't got much of a comment to make. Um, I know that Southampton have been one of the informed teams mm. of late. They've They've been putting together back-to-back victories and playing really well. Um, Arsenal were, I think, struggling against Southampton um, and um, maybe created one or two chances. But I didn't really watch them play against Manchester City, so I can't really comment too much on how they played against City. Mm. Brian, did you watch the game? I watched it. Um, Southampton do what Southampton currently do, which is they look like Leicester. Um, they look like Leicester when Leicester are on fire. They just look like a really strong top four contending team. Mm. Um, great play from Danny Ings. Fia Walcott looks like a new player. Um, he just he's really enjoying being back at Southampton and he was great against um, Arsenal and he looked great again yesterday. Danny Ings st- <laughs> still runs like an old man, but he gets about, man. I really like Danny Ings. Uh, Jay Adams, yeah. Ward Prowse, all, they're all having a great time. Um, uh, former Chelsea star, Oriol like Romeo, Chinepo guy, he looks kind of dangerous. Is that his name? Yeah, he's like, a B, he's like a beat at Marnie. <laughs> yeah, nah. The thing with me with City, and this is where I'm a bit lost, is they don't have that killer instinct. Do you remember City used to just kill teams, like give you give them two, three, and that would be it. Like once they get to one nil it's almost like they find it really difficult to actually put a score together unless it's handed to them. So when they were 1-0 up, they had like three or four transitions where you'd expect them to score. The Brain had a chance. Um, Bernardo Silva had a chance. Mares had a chance. Like, they're just not putting games to bed the way that they used to, or they're not actually just really enforcing their will on teams anymore. And I just think, I don't know what happened. I've heard some stories that like Pep kind of burns players out like all the instructions that he gives, like what he wants from them, it's very hard for him to stay with a team longer than, say, three years. And he's now been with City for, I think this is his fourth year now? Fifth year. This is his fifth season with City. So they're just, they're missing a spark. 
I know they didn't have Aguero, they didn't have Gabriel Jesus. Maybe it's the fact that they don't have a like an informed striker, but they're definitely missing something, which is going to mean they're going to fall short when it comes to trying to win this league this year. It's an interesting assessment there. Um, we will have to see what happens. Uh, I do think this Ferran Torres guy could be capable of playing as a striker. I think uh, he came as a winger. Mm. Um, and maybe he's been converted by Pep to playing in more of a central attacking role. Um, Kevin De Bruyne was a bit stop and start this season, but he seems to be growing, coming back into his game. Sterling maybe growing, coming back into his game. But ultimately, they just don't look like they just don't look like they're in as great shape as Liverpool are. Liverpool seem to be, you know, as we just said, uh, having an amazing squad where even if they've got. Uh, an injury crisis, they're still able to mm. grind out results, bring through young players um, and have the young players step up to the plate and perform um, until the the more experienced players can come back from injury and, and contribute to the team. And I just don't see Manchester City having the same level of strength and depth. It's weird because they've spent so much more money than Liverpool. I think they've got the players, they've just got players who aren't informed. And I think that's the big, that's the big, that's the big thing. They just their players are not in like the kind of the, the destructive form that Liverpool's players seem to be in at the moment. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess we'll see. It's nice we'll to see, see your boy uh, John Stones getting a game. Come on, man! Like Johan Stones, and um, I do think that other players are fit in defence. So it might just be that you know he's looking good in training and he's yeah. actually playing better than Laporte and and the other multi-million pound signings that uh, City have there, which is I great to see. I remember when I made a shout that John Stones was England's best centre-back and I got shot down on this podcast, but I, I, I'm, I'm believing he's starting to show that form again. So Better than Ake? Yeah, he's better than Ake. Like, no, like, in terms of England, like, so Maguire and Gomez and all of those players, he's definitely the best. Yeah. I think, I think at City, Laporte is the best centre-back, but he just, he's been injured. And obviously, Diaz is kind of coming for big money, so he's going to play. But I think... John Stones on his day is as good as Diaz. I wouldn't say he's quite at Laporte's level. I still think Laporte's the best center back after Van Dijk in the league. But I do think John Stones has a very high ceiling. He just needs to be more, like, be, be a bit more consistent. Now that you've said that, I'm going to be watching Manchester City's defence a whole lot more, especially this Diaz guy who I haven't seen a lot of yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I like John Stones. I think he's got techers and, and, and you know, he's a nice ball player in centre-half and I want to see him playing. Yeah, he's quality. Right, moving on <laughs> moving on to a team that, boy, they need a centre-back. Arsenal. Um, another oh, loss. Arsenal another don't need a centre-back. Arsenal don't need Arsenal got about eight. No, we need a good centre back. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. We need a good centre back. We need a winger. We need a striker. We need everything. Um, another two-one defeat yesterday. Um, own goal from Rob Holding. Then Pepe got an, an equaliser after Maitland-Niles was tripped in the box just before halftime. Yeri Mina ghosted in with a header at the near post to make it two-one, and they huffed, they puffed, but they didn't really have anything to blow down. The defenses in the in the blue side of Merseyside. Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Talk to me. What's going wrong at Arsenal? Um, the manager needs to be held responsible. Okay. This is this is solely on Arteta because, regardless of um, not having the players that you want, and you know these these are the players you inherit. That argument is kind of it's dead, it's dead to me because what you inherited was a, a decent team. 
And there seems to be a lot of people shifting blame on the players, the players, the players. It's the manager's job to make the players play in a certain way. You can you can have a poor squad. There are several teams in the Premier League that have a poor squad, but they're putting together better better performances than Arsenal currently. I believe that the Arsenal team is stronger than the Leeds team. I believe that I believe that uh, Arsenal have better players than Leicester. Mm-hmm. It can't be the players. It's got to be the manager and the management. And Arteta, in my opinion, does not have the experience to get this team where they need to be. Fair. How? What would you say back to that? I would disagree that the responsibility solely lies with the manager. Because I would say we've seen that Arsene Wenger was struggling with, with some of these same players. Um, he's left. Okay. Um, you know, Emery's come in and he was struggling with some of these same players, a lot of the same players. He's left. Um, Freddie Lundberg come in. He was struggling with, with the same players. He's left. Arteta's come in. He's struggling with it. it to me, it seems like there's an obvious constant here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a group. Uh, I, I had a little Twitter conversation the other day where I said to somebody, I think our players are good. So I am agreeing with Ryan uh, in that the Arsenal players are good. Uh, Roy Keane actually famously said recently that, you know, the Arsenal players are good. They're just a bit soft. But what my point was that our players are good. And I think if you take our best 11 and you take each one of those 11 players and you put them in a different team, they could all play for a top team and perform well. But if you put them all together in this Arsenal team, it just doesn't seem to work. Um, and I don't know if a fourth manager will come in and make it work. Um, I, I honestly, to to put my finger on exactly what's going on, I can't do that. I don't know. I'm not inside the club. I don't have the inside information. Couldn't tell you what's going on in training. I don't know if there's something psychological. Um, maybe there's a boogeyman in the club that everybody's scared of or something. Maybe the fans not being there and COVID-19 in the air and, and it's just created some kind of a mental issue. I don't know. But what I do know is that the players aren't performing. They they could have qualified for the Champions League under Unai Emery. They could have won the Europa League under Unai Emery, but they didn't. And, and, and that's not something I'm going to blame the manager for because the manager has shown, look, I'm good enough to guide this team all the way to this point. And I'm good enough to, you know, prepare the team to do the team selection, to do the in-game management. I've got us all the way to the final. Why didn't we cross the line? The players on the pitch have to perform. They have to cross that line. It's just unfortunate that the manager's neck is always on the chopping block. Um, and I think that's what's happening with Arteta right now. I think he's preparing the team. And at first it was like, oh my God, they're looking amazing. You know, they won the FA Cup and they won the Charity Shield and they're, they're scoring these lovely goals. We're seeing Saka looking like a brilliant player and Aubameyang's playing. And then all of a sudden Aubameyang stops playing well. Um, and, and Saka kind of dipped and, and, and started struggling a little bit. And, you know, young players are always going to be like that because they're still figuring things out. They, they don't know how to be consistent every week. They have to learn that, right? And it's it's a mess. It's an, it's an absolute mess. When the experienced players 
are like making mistakes. When you got experienced players like Louise that you know don't have to trust in the manager. Louise was on the bench the other day, like you know, experienced player. He brought you in from Chelsea to come in and play week in week out, and you're coming off the bench. What's going on? Gabrielle has had to come in and be one of our best players. He's only been at the club about six months. Um, it's you know, I think there's an over reliance now on Gabrielle and Partey. Um, to make things happen. And I, I don't know if if we sack the manager right now and bring in another one. I don't, you know, you always get that new manager lift when a new manager comes in and everybody's kind of like, right, it's kind of like they stop slouching in their chairs and they sit up straight kind of thing because, you know, you need to impress the new manager. But how long is that going to last? Like it, it wore off for Emery. It wore off for, for Arteta. Are, are we now going to have to be a club where we hire a new manager every six to 12 months to try and get that new manager lift? Mm. Or is there something else at foot here? It it might have to be, you look at the very top, you look at the board and you say, you know, yeah, okay, you pulled out 50 million to buy Partey, but we're in a situation where maybe what we really need is 500 million and you're papering over the cracks by just saying, look, I've put my hand in my pocket and spent 50 million. Maybe you need to really spend hundreds of millions and rebuild this squad. So I'm going to jump in now because I, I, I completely agree with what both of you have said. It is the manager's fault because essentially he picks the team, he puts them out, and he's been picking players who shouldn't be starting. Facts. However, yeah. we then also need to look at what the players have done when they have started, and some of the players feel like they know they're going to get a game. Like, you're like, so William, who hasn't done anything since he's been at the club. Like, one decent game against Fulham away, that is it. Like, Bellerin hasn't been been great this season. Rob Holding shouldn't be starting games. There's so many little things that have kind of happened around that. But I think the biggest issue with Arsenal is the culture that's around the club. It's now become accepted that we that we don't win games. It's okay for things to happen. It's okay to, to, to be runners-up. It's okay to just to miss out on the players that, 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 that we actually kind of need. And I think a lot of it comes down from the, the, the structure above the manager. This has been something that's been there for a while. And we've been a club in like regression for such a long time that it, I think it was a bit wrong and a bit remiss of us to think that we could give a young, inexperienced coach the job to turn our fortunes around. We needed experience. We needed character. And as much as we won the FA Cup, we needed something more than that. And yeah, we've got the players, but the players need directions. I, I just think there's just so much wrong at the top of the club that it just keeps filtering down. And actually, this whole episode could be on Arsenal, but we're not going to do that. But I think <laughs> a lot of what you guys said made a lot of sense. And it's not even about us being bantered anymore. It's about there to be some serious deep diving into the club to see what's wrong with it. And there's so many theories, and I agree with quite a few of them, but ultimately it's down to the culture that's been allowed to be established at the club. That's our biggest problem. I, 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 I want to uh, talk on that appointment of our Tater point you made there. And I think from a, a business perspective, when it comes to recruitment, you know, either you're going to go with somebody that's experienced and you know, they're going to come in and hit the ground running and you're going to pay top dollar to get the best possible staff to do the best possible job or you're going to go in with somebody who's inexperienced, you know, you're not going to have to pay them as much and, you know, you're, you're going to be patient and you're going to let them learn and develop. And I think that our strategy would be 
if we're bringing in someone like Arteta, it's to have a patient strategy, a patient approach. We know he's going to make mistakes. We know he's not the finished article. Uh, and we're just going to give him time. Now, for him to come in and win the FA Cup, he's shown that he's got potential. Okay, yes, he's hit a bump in the road. But really, you should be giving him time because that's what he needs. That's the appointment that you've made. You've made the inex- you've gone down the inexperienced route uh, with someone where you need to give them time. We're a club that were, you know, probably going to be finishing mid-table when he came in. So what do you really expect him to do? We should be just maintaining. Unfortunately, he's dipped. He's dipped from our mid-table kind of status. I think if we were seventh, eighth from the table, it wouldn't be so bad. We would be happy to give him time. But Probably to slip down to 15th and 16th, it now <laughs> looks like a concern, like our actual Premier League status might be uh, on the line right now. Uh, but, that's, but that's the point, Cal. And I take your point, but that's the thing. Like We brought him in to, 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 to get us to get to a certain level. He's failed to do that. Yes, he's won the FA Cup, but like I said, in cup competitions, it's a lottery. Like, we could have been knocked up by Sheffield United. Man City didn't really turn up. And if Pulisic stays on the pitch, maybe we don't win the FA Cup. So it completely mm. shifts everything. And I know that there's lots of ifs and buts in football, but you use the ifs and buts as well. If we were 7th and 8th, we're not. So yeah, the fact is that he has actually won the FA Cup, and I'm glad he's kind of done that. But he's a, But his cup record is very, very good. But it's our league form which is really alarming. Like, we've lost seven out of our last ten. We started the season with three wins and a defeat to Liverpool away. By no means a disgrace. We've now, against teams who we should be beating, we've lost at home to Burnley. We've lost at home to Wolves. We've lost at home to, to Aston Villa. We've lost at home to um, Leicester. Like, we've been beaten by Everton. We, like, we're struggling to, to, to get any fi- kind of performance together and that's the thing that I said as well if we were losing and we were scoring goals and we were playing well then so be it but we're not playing well we're like we're supremely cautious against teams in the lower half of the table why is that we've got we've got exceptional attacking talent from what I've been told but yet we never ever put our put our, put our stamp on the game I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to kind of say he's got to go but he needs to shake things up very very quickly or his position becomes untenable it's that simple I'm yes. going to summarise quickly and say mm. I think his position is tricky because he has experienced players in the team that he's inherited that aren't maybe so great. Um, maybe he doesn't trust them with being able to win the games. Yes, we've got talented young players coming through, but now we're in a situation where we need results. We, we maybe can't be patient with young players that are potentially going to make mistakes so he's got a squad with lots of youth he's got a squad with experienced players that aren't so great who does he even play it's tough and uh, he's encountering scenarios that he's never encountered before he's never managed in football before he came to Arsenal so every game he's learning something new I just think it's it's very tricky for me to actually blame him and say he should be sacked um, but unfortunately, point, though. But unfortunately point, though. And football is a results business and mm-hmm. we need to get results. So it's like at a certain point, he, he'll probably know to himself as well, results have been bad. And, and at a certain point, you know, there's, there's only so much you can, you can continue down this road. Um, things need to change. We need, we need to, we need to start getting some wins. hundred percent. But that's what I'm saying. I feel sorry for him because he's been put in this position. No, like the people who, who hired him, 
have made the wrong decision and it looks bad on him now. There's talk that he wanted our and you know and you know there's there's talk that he doesn't have the players that he wants to play the brand of football that he wants to play so he's having to kind of put sellotape over things and and, and just do a job and you know and, and try and adapt to the opposition because I can't play the way that I want to play so I'm going to try and set my team up to stop the opposition playing the way that they want to play and that's the kind of thing that you mentioned there Ash that way you thought you know it's frustrating seeing us set up a certain way against maybe even what you might call weaker opposition. Mm. But <sighs> it's a hard watch. It's a hard watch. It's, it's hard being an Arsenal fan right now. And I know that we spoke about this for a lot longer than we planned to, but there's still a lot more to say. Um, but we'll move on to the last game yesterday, which was Fulham picking up a point on the road against Newcastle. Ryan, you've been impressed with Fulham recently, haven't you? Yes. They're, um, some of their signings have finally come good. Uh, Adi Mono Lookman. Yeah, formerly of Everton, but uh, went on loan to uh, his first time in Germany. He's come back and he's looked like a really good at attacking threat. He still has some of those young player issues, which um, I think he's 23 or 24 now. So I was kind of hoping he'd get those out of his game. But still has some of those poor decision makings. Obviously, we saw him try a Penenka penalty in the 90th minute, uh, which could have gave Fulham some points and he, 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 he I don't know why he tried that but that's just his his youth showing its ass but um, yeah no I, I I think that Fulham are definitely on the up um, if they put uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the middle then they really get that extra strength and meat that they've really needed and you can see they're not far from starting to get, get some results yeah. and they're not they're not far from where they need to be and they're actually out of the bottom three now which is something I didn't think I was going to see. It seems like the position of of a whipping boy has been taken by Sheffield United, who are currently 1-0 down with 10 men. No, sorry, they're currently 0-0 with 10 men. They're not 1-0 down yet. Oh, someone got sent off. Yeah, someone got sent off for you know going over the ball and oh, wow. studs up. It was an awful challenge. But, um, yeah, no, Fulham have done well to make it out of the relegation zone because, as, as I said at the beginning of the season... When I first saw them, I said Fulham have no business in the Premier League. Mm. I still don't think they do, but now they're starting to change my mind a little. Okay, little, that's little. fair. Um, so yeah, you went into our fixtures that we need to look at now. So as you said, it's nil-nil Brighton for Sheffield United. Um, John Lundstrom, the fantasy superstar of last season, has been sent off. Um, Sheffield United are absolutely dire. Um, and yeah, I think they're they're definitely going to be going down after what was a great season last year. Um, the game after that is Tottenham versus Leicester. Both teams lost to Merseyside opposition in the week with um, Tottenham losing 2-1 away to Liverpool and Leicester losing at home to Everton 2-0. Um, how are we seeing this game today? I'll go to you, Cal. Um, so uh, I forgot which game we were on today. Tottenham, Tottenham versus Leicester. Um, well, I've got Vardy and I've got Son in my FPL team. So, you know what kind of score I want, right? I want 1-1. Well, <laughs> I, I want a goal from each of those two. Uh, I thought about putting Spurs defenders in, but I didn't quite get there. Um, so, yeah. But at the same time, I've actually got Justin as well. So, uh, ideally, um, a one one a one one would be good for me, I think. With Justin making making loads of tackles and getting some bonus points. Cool. Um Ryan, your prediction for that game? I see Tottenham winning it. Tottenham, Tottenham have a better team, they've got a better man, and they're playing as such. Um I feel like Kaylin Sun will link up to score more goals in this game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and but saying that, if they give Leicester half a chance, they'll score from it. Leicester, mm-hmm. Leicester are excellent at converting chances into goals. They might have two chances the whole game, but they'll score at least one of them. Mm-hmm. They'll score at least one of them. So you, they they really need to be strong at the back. Um, I want to see. My favourite Premier League player this season has been uh, Tangi Ndombele. If you've seen the Amazon documentary All or Nothing with Tottenham Hotspur, you can see him kind of going through the motions of signing for Spurs for 63 million and him struggling on the field. And this season he's been a completely different player. He is him and Holberg in Holberg in in, in midfield. Yeah. Absolutely monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. So yeah, I, I expect, I, I expect, I hope, and I expect a good performance from uh, from the midfield today. And I see Tottenham winning this one, maybe three one. Cool. I will coast. I think it'll be two one to Tottenham. Um, and I think um, Endon Belly is a great shout. He's been exceptional whenever I've seen him play. And I just feel sorry for him that, like, as soon as it gets to sixty minutes, you know he's going to get taken off. And I do feel like he doesn't completely gas out. And I just think he's something that. Mourinho is just doing to him all the time. I think he could play for a bit longer. Um, the next game after that is Man United versus Leeds. So United um, have won um, their last two league games. Um, no, they've won their last league game away to Sheffield United. They drew with Man City. Um, yeah, like just Rashford with two in the week. Martial scored one. Bruno Fernandes was really quiet. But um, Paul Pogba played very, very well away to Sheffield United. So... Any thoughts on this game, um, Ryan? Sorry, repeat that, please. So, Man United against Leeds. What are your thoughts on this game? Uh, Man United versus Leeds. Um, what I see happening is moments of individual brilliance bailing Man United out. Okay. Leeds, are, Leeds are a very good, very good team. In their last game, they won five two, um, and they were scoring goals for fun. Uh, worldies. They were absolutely outrageous. In a time where you thought they were going to kind of hold on to their lead, they were sending five up and they was having a great old time shooting from 30 yards and scoring. Um, so they'll be coming back, coming into this game with, uh, with on, a, on a high and with the, the idea that they can actually beat this Man United team because Man United have kind of lost that with Man United kind of uh, aura about them. So I see... Um, I see this being a, a, a tie. I see this being about a two-two. I see Leeds taking taking the lead, and um, I see moments of individual brilliance bailing out Man United once again. Okay. Um, Kyle, do you have a prediction um, for this game? You know, Man United have got knocked out of the Champions League, so I think that's going to have a huge impact on the Premier League because now all of their eggs are in one basket. And everybody at the club is going to be focused on on trying to make sure that they win every single Premier League game, even more than what it was before, and trying to do as well as they possibly can. Um, I do think that Manchester United are improving. And, you know, with the addition of Cavani, it's given them an extra dimension up front. Um, will he be playing? Does Is he going to play regularly? You know, you could argue maybe he's going to be used as an impact sub. Martial hasn't been great this season, but he did score in the last game, as, as Ash mentioned. So c- could there be a return to form for Anthony Martial? If there is, uh, we've seen Greenwood uh, playing recently as well, looking quite sharp. Um, so it's just going to be those extra attacking threats piling on top of what you get from Rashford, um, 
the return to form from Paul Pogba, as Ash spoke of. And, you know, you might say that Fernandez wasn't so great in the last game, but he's been pretty damn good in every other game. Mm. So I think we can, you know, we can kind of just give him a break and say, all right, you didn't have such a great game against um, Man City. But it is Manchester City, isn't it? And I'm quite confident that Bruno Fernandes will be back to play against Leeds. And let's not forget, this is a this is like a derby, isn't it? It's like a yeah, it's a big derby. game. It's a There's big a lot game. of bad blood between the two clubs, and both teams are going to be fired up, ready to go. Leeds will give it a good game, um, and I'm expecting to maybe Bamford or you know even that Hernandez guy. He's, he's popping up with goals now, um, but I'm I'm actually thinking Man United is going to win this, and I do think Bruno Fernandes is going to show his class in this game. Cool. I'm gonna go for like a four-two. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of goals in this game. Um, I think it'll be a good game to watch. Um, the final game today is West Brom versus Aston Villa, and at West Brom we had our first managerial change. So Slavin Bilic was relieved of his duties just 24 hours after um, achieving a one-one draw away to Manchester City, and Big Sam Allardyce is back in the Premier League. Um, in our group chat, we had a bit of a, a back and forth about this. I know, um, Ryan, you're you're for Allardyce being back in the league, aren't you? He does a job. He has a, he has a duty, and he does it. I'm, I personally think, I personally think he should have gone to Arsenal. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not even going to respond to that. Well, to be honest, we're kind of in a Big Sam type of situation now when Big Sam comes into to the club. You know, this this is what he does. Like he takes, he will take a club like Arsenal and, and and make us fly right up the table, wouldn't he? And I'm sure he's going to do that for West Brom. I just don't know if they have all the quality necessary. But with the January transfer window coming up, we know what Big Sam's like when it comes to transfers. He knows how to wheel and deal. Um, I, I'll never forget his Bolton side in the um, I think was it the the 90s with JJ Kocher and Yuri Jukayev and. Ivan Campo and all of these quality players like it was amazing the team that he put together and I do think that he is capable of doing that again he is capable of signing cheap top quality players and playing attractive attacking football while still giving his team some steel and that kind of you know that drive to smash and and and, and just win by any means so, hey, I'm excited to see Big Sam. I know a lot of people don't like him, but I like his style, Yeah, me. Man. I think he's effective nah. as hell. No, I'm not having him. He might not play you know, <laughs> the sexiest, most attractive football, but he gets the job done. I just, I just, I just nah, not for me. He just um, needs the right, right signings. If he can find another, another JJ, another Ivan Campo, another Hierro, who knows what could happen. Nah, and I hope Villa bad him straight. I can't stand him. I can't, oh, wow. can't stand him. Yeah, straight. And him coming to Arsenal, I swear to God, if that day ever comes, I will stop supporting that club. On on God, I will stop supporting Arsenal <laughs> if Sam Adidas becomes our manager. I'm being serious. This is me being deadly serious. It's probably not going to happen. It's probably not it, happen. It, it better not. Um, two more games tomorrow. Um, we've got Burnley versus Wolves. Um, Wolves got a really good result against Chelsea and Burnley have done pretty well in their last few games. They obviously won at the Emirates um, and they got a 0-0 draw away to Aston Villa who either scored lots of goals or kind of, kind of come up short. Um, quick prediction on that one, Cal, Burnley Wolves. 
Burnley, um, yeah, a little bit inconsistent, but you know, usually what you get from Burnley is you get a strong defensive display, right? Um, just pulling up their uh, their latest form. It's, it's yeah, it's patchy. Like I said, it's a bit mixed. Um, did they get spanked five 0 by Man City not too long ago? But since then, it's been a one-one with Everton. Uh, they obviously got that cheeky win uh, against Arsenal and a draw against Villa. Um, so I'm hoping Wolves can win this. Uh, Bowden's and Neto seem to be in form, so that that, that could be like a, a two-nil. But then Pope definitely does his best to make sure that anything that comes near him gets battered away. Um, so a tough, maybe a tough one-nil away win for Wolves. Okay, Ryan. Um, I'd, I'm not. I'm not a fan of Burnley at the moment. They've been. I, I, yeah, I, I feel. I feel. I feel like this is the season Burnley, Burnley get relegated. I feel like Wolves are going to do them up a treat. I see a three-nil. Uh, Podence is looking like a real hazard, hazardy kind of player, and uh, if he plays as how we know he can play, um, they'll be in trouble. So yeah, I see. I see Wolves taking this one three 0 quite comfortably. Crazy! I'm going one 0 Burnley. They'll win this. They'll find a way <laughs> to win it with a really crap goal, and there'll be a poke clean sheet. So yeah. And the final game of the week is Chelsea versus West Ham United. Um, there's some news coming out that Reece James may need an operation on his knee. Um, it's not being kind of substantiated as as yet, but Chelsea have had a fair few injuries and they've also kind of always fluffed their lines when they've had the opportunity to kind of like either gain ground or go on top of um, some of their rivals. Um, Ryan, obviously you are our resident Chelsea fan. What are your hopes for the game on Monday? I hope that we win. Um, I, I've been very critical of Chelsea lately. A lot of players, a lot, a lot of people in my, my close friends are always telling me Chelsea are a threat and they're a dark horse and they could just kind of, if they start clicking, I'm like, yeah, I'm not convinced just yet. Um, and I don't know if it's Frank, um, but we just don't look dominant. We don't look dominant in a, in a lot of games. It's just, just a lot of inconsistencies. Like we can go, we can beat Sevilla, who are a great team, 4-0. And then come back and lose to, well, come back and lose to West Ham, come back and lose to Burnley. Come, it's, it's, I'm not convinced. Mm. Um, and I have questioned Frank Lampard's team selection at time, at times. And yeah, uh, hopefully one day it all, it all starts to click perfectly. But until then, uh, I'm not overly confident. But so uh, yeah, us against West Ham, I see it maybe being a one nil if we're lucky. If we're lucky. Okay. Cal, quick prediction. Um, boy, I think that West Ham are one of the informed teams right now. And I also think um, that Chelsea, their form has actually slipped a little bit of late. So it, this could be an upset. London Derby, come on. West Ham are going to be well up for getting the win today. So, uh, sorry, tomorrow. And I think they might just do it. I'm, I'd, I'd go for a cheeky 1-0 West Ham win. Maybe Suchek uh, running in from deep and then banging one in from the edge of the box. Wow. Yeah, I think I think this will be 2-1 to Chelsea. I think it won't be it won't be easy. I think they may fall behind. 
and then kind of come back similar to what happened against the Leeds game. Um, but I think Chelsea at home will be too strong for West Ham. Um, right. A couple of other games that have happened um, in the next couple of days is the League Cup. Um, we're at the quarterfinal stage and there are four ties with Arsenal at home to Man City, Brentford at home to Newcastle, Stoke at home to Tottenham and Everton at home to Manchester United. Um, very, very quickly, guys, can you give me your lineup? Who do you think will be going through from those ties to form the semi-final lineup? Um, before we do that, um, we completely forgot to talk about Danny Drinkwater uh, while we was talking about Chelsea and West Ham. Um, and uh, yeah, so he did actually have that uh, piece of news that came out about him getting involved in a, a bit of a, a scrap in an under-23s game. There was a lot of banter involved around that. You know, he's he's gone from winning league titles to getting sent off uh, and losing his head against uh, a bunch of young players in the reserves. But I think it's an interesting story to talk about because it was a bit of a horrible tackle that got put on on him. And, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, he's supposed to be the model pro. You're playing with 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. They're the ones that you would expect maybe to not be so professional. And you as an experienced elder statesman, you're supposed to keep a cool head. But, you know, we had a look at the tackle. We were talking about it before we started recording, weren't we? And we had, we had a look at the tackle. Um, I've got this article here from the Sport Bible, of all places. Um which actually shows an angle that maybe people didn't see before um, on of that. Of that, And you, when you see that this kid went lunging in with two feet and he was off the ground and everything, that is an absolutely horrendous... Te- like, if somebody did that to you, like you're playing Sunday League football or, you know, you're having a kickabout in Power League, somebody, you're going to be rightly vexed. I think rightly so. Um and uh, I don't know, I just think that maybe the way that people have reacted to this story um, and kind of condemning Danny Drinkwater, I think they was a bit wrong because that tackle that, he, that that kid put in on him was completely bang out of order. Yeah, it was a disgusting tackle. He should have done, he should have punched him in his face. <laughs> this was, uh, this is just another part of the agenda against Danny Drinkwater. I mean, many players... Uh, join clubs and have issues. I know he's had some trouble off the pitch with drinking. Everyone makes jokes. Oh, I should have drank water. It's like, oh, come on, <laughs> it's 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 really um, it's awful. I know he's come to the club and has had the best time, but with Chelsea, there's a, there's a long line of players that have come here and haven't had the best time. Um, he's still a very good player, I imagine. Um, and for him to be a player who wants to get back out into the uh, when given you know, where we are in the season with many teams looking for players like they drink water to come and, you know, sure up the midfield and improve their squad. He's probably putting himself out there in the shop window. So to face a 16 year old doing a two footed challenge, a reckless two footed challenge is enough to make anyone fly off the handle because that 16 year old is at the start of his career and day drink water is in the, is in the autumn of his career. And he's looking to, you know, find another club before, before he maybe retires. To receive a chance like that would have seriously harmed anyone. So mm. the, the media kind of made it out like, oh, 31 year old Danny Drinkwater starts fighting under under 23 games against a 16 year old. It's like, for every right reason. Yeah. If there's ever a right reason to start a fight with a 16 year old, that challenge probably it. Yeah. Just looking at it again, like, 
the, the connection is right on the ankle as well. Like if you put your whole body weight, you fly, lunge into a tackle, both your feet are off the ground. It's like literally like a drop kick from, from flipping WWE to the ankle. That can break your ankle. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a horror tackle. No one should punch anyone in the face. But if, you, if that was your reaction, it's more understandable once you've seen this tackle. Like I've seen guys break their legs on Sunday leagues for tackles far less than that, and that had real intent behind it. So I think I think the player who threw the tackle needs to look at that and look at himself and think to do better. And I think Danny Danny Drinkwater just reacted like any human would. Like when you've been endangered like that, sometimes you will react. And yes, he's the senior pro, but he's a human first, as we always say on this podcast. There you go. Yeah. And uh, speaking about in danger quickly, uh, yeah, we're talking about Arsenal versus Man City. Uh, Arsenal are in danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you are you taking Man City for that for that League Cup game? Absolutely. Cool. Um, all right. Brentford Newcastle. Who are you having, Ryan? Newcastle. Um, Stoke against Tottenham. Tottenham. And Everton against Man United. That could go either way. If if Man United and Everton at the moment, I can't predict what they're going to do because um, yeah, Everton have a good team, but they're inconsistent, and Man United could be bailed out by a penalty. So God knows. Cool, um, Cal. Who are your four teams to go through? Um, I'm gonna go with <clears throat> City, Newcastle, Tottenham, and Man United. It just okay. kind of picks itself, don't it? I think Everton are going to beat United. I've got this really weird feeling that Everton may actually win a cup this season and the Carlin Cup being that. It's the last Ooh. eight, man. This is exciting. Anything can happen, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tottenham could rotate the, the side because they really want to compete in the Premier League. And so they could rest a whole lot of their stars and Stoke could turn them over. Maybe. I'm, I'm backing them. Yeah, I'm backing Tottenham's. Because remember, Tottenham's second team have done very well in the Europa League. And that second team contains Bell, Lamella, Winks, um, Davison Chances, Vinicius, Doherty, Daly Davies, Daly Alley. Yeah, they're going to beat Stoke. That's a good team, to be fair. <laughs> they're going to they're beat Stoke. Um, but let's not talk about Tottenham doing well for too long. Um, <laughs> we're now going to move on to general news, um, just to kind of wrap up. An, an, an extra long podcast. We're giving you a bit of a bumper edition scene as, you know, Tier four Christmas is coming. Um, so yeah, we're trying to be a bit nice to you guys today. Um, we'll start with the Champions League draw, um, which happened on Monday. Um a favorable draw for the for the teams in the in the Premier League, would you say? Any uh, big any big ones that kind of have jumped out for you? Chelsea are in trouble. Okay. Chelsea are in trouble. Um, and I was watching this live. In my office, had my phone out, just had watching the um, watching the draw, and the one team I did not want to face, we are now facing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Atletico Madrid, yes, who currently sit atop the Liga, who have Luis Suarez and Jao Felix playing really well. Uh, Luis Suarez just scored two goals mm-hmm. um, in their last game, and they are dangerous. They have a mm-hmm. strong defense, and now their attack is looking strong as well. Um, mm-hmm. We are in trouble. They are easily the, the one team I said, I do not want to play them. Mm. That is probably the most even tie that's there. So just to run through the ties, you've got Atletico versus Chelsea, 
you got Lazio versus Bayern Munich, Porto versus um, Juventus, Sevilla versus Borussia Dortmund, Leipzig versus Liverpool, Barcelona versus Paris Saint-Germain, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Manchester City, and then Atalanta versus Real Madrid. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that and maybe the Barcelona, the Barcelona Paris Saint-Germain tie are probably the two outstanding ties there. What do you think, Cal? Me personally, um, sometimes I have an alternative opinion, don't I? Mm-hmm. And with this round, I'm actually really excited for Sevilla versus Dortmund. Um, and just to see if this Sevilla team that we watched in last season's Europa League that went on to win it. Uh, I think you backed them to win it as well, didn't you, um, Ash? Yeah. Sevilla was your, was your shout. And, uh, you know, just to see, you know, how much progress have they made? Are they, you know, ready to, to go far in this season's Champions League? Um, I mean, I, they did get absolutely slapped by Chelsea, didn't they? Mm. But apart from that, I do think they're in quite good shape and they might be able to beat Dortmund. But I'd like to see it. So I'm quite excited about that. Um, Dortmund are having a torrid time at the moment. Mm, um, their manager. Their manager's been sacked. Um, they've got a, a great roster of young talent. Uh, Giovanni Reynard, Jude Bellingham, um, Haaland, obviously. They've also got a, young, a, a new young striker called uh, Mkonku. No, no, Mkonku. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I can't, forgive me, I can't remember your name, but he's 16. He just scored his, his first... Uh, Bundesliga goal in a 2-1 loss to Union Berlin so they they have a good team and no have a good team but at the moment they're they're very inconsistent and I think that a fixture that isn't getting enough mention is RB Leipzig versus Liverpool I think that's going to be the game of the round I think so yeah I think that's going to be the game of the round I think that Leipzig are absolutely fire um, and they've lost um, Timo Werner but they're still very strong. Very, 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 very strong. I think gaming around for me is probably going to be Barcelona versus Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, to see Lionel Messi and Mbappe and Neymar all on the same pitch, uh, I think that game is going to be fireworks. So I, I, I expect Paris Saint-Germain to, to deal with Barcelona pretty easily. I think as long as Neymar's fit, I know he had a really bad challenge um, against Lyon last weekend. I think if he's fit and on, and on fire, then I think he, he takes them through. Um, Leipzig, nah, Liverpool will be too strong for them. I kind of think, yeah, I, I, I'm really, the, the game that interests me the most is Atletico against Chelsea. Because I think it'll be interesting to see where Chelsea are in three months' time. And Atletico, like you said, are, they're obdurant. They're a very strong team. And they've still got like genuine quality in their ranks. Um also, talk about quality in the ranks. I think we need to move on to the Europa League draw because a lot of top teams got knocked out of the Champions League and, and Inter. So looking at that draw, you've got the likes of Napoli, you've got the likes of Manchester United, um, and you've also got, who else went down there? Ajax as well went from the Champions League through to the, to the, Europe, to, to the Europa League. Um, are there any big games that you guys are looking out for in that competition? Obviously, the Arsenal game. Um, I do think Arsenal can beat Benfica. Um, mm. For me, being Benfica are a little bit of an unknown quantity. I haven't seen. Mm. I don't think I've seen any of them this season. Um, but that's the kind of game Arsenal should be looking to win. Now we should be looking to progress uh, into the round of sixteen in this tournament. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, Real Sociedad versus Manchester United. Mm-hmm. That could be a great game of football. Real Sociedad, mm-hmm. they've got Nacho Monreal over there. They've got David Silva over there. And they are balling. They are playing some good football. They're doing quite well in the league. Um, and um, it, it will be interesting to see what kind of level they're at compared to the level that Manchester United are at right now. I think that's going to be a great game. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. The other domestic teams that are, that are in action in that team, that um, competition are Wolfsburg versus Tottenham. Um, you've got Slavia Prague against Leicester and Antwerp face Rangers. Um, go on, Rangers. Yeah, go on, Rangers. Fair, fair, fair play to them. Um we're going to stay. Um, we're going to stay on the continent at the moment, and we're going to look at the French football crisis. Um, so, Media Pro were the t- were the company who bought the television rights for um, Ligue 1, and for the price of one billion euros. But this week, they announced they won't have enough capital to be able to um, meet that requirement from them, and as a result, it's left the the French league without a media partner to stream their games. Um, financially, this has a huge effect on the league, thinking that the promise of a billion a billion euros has now kind of gone into thin air due to, I believe, the pandemic and the, just the financial crisis that's been looming. Um, what do you guys think about the state of French football now they could potentially have a huge financial crisis um, pending for them? This is... This is something that's unprecedented for me. I didn't expect to see anything like this happening. And I think it is a huge bit of football news here. Um, got this article here in Versus, which is um, a publicist, publisher that I, I really like. They, they seem to be really cool and really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in football. Also, I want to shout out their podcast. They've got a podcast called How to Be a Baller. And the latest episode, they had Curtis Jones on there uh, giving tips to uh, to young people on, on uh, how to get into football. But um, yeah, this article they've got here, they're talking about uh, French clubs struggling to survive and, you know, um, and talking about the depth of the TV rights deals is just a very good article here and to be honest with you it, it kind of paints the picture that these french clubs are going to have to start selling off their players in mm. january just to stay afloat because of how severe the lack of funds are due to the tv deal from media pro going belly up um so there is talk about a replacement broadcaster coming in but they're going to be offering them much less money mm. Um, so, you know, MediaPro was, was supposed to pay 3.25 billion euros over four years, and they've only paid less than 10% of it, um, in over four months. Um, and so, you know, there's a huge gap there that needs to be filled. And uh, it's, for me, I think other clubs are going to be on high alert, aren't they? They're going to be on red alert. Arsenal was supposed to supposedly linked with Hussam Awar of Lyon. And if he could be available at a cut price bargain because, you know, Lyon are now struggling to pay their wages and to stay afloat, um, that's good news for Arsenal, isn't it? And it could put other clubs onto alert. You know, if PSG starts struggling, other clubs could start thinking, oh, could we slip in a bid for Mbappe? Uh, you know, Liverpool might be thinking, thinking about that. Man City might be thinking about that. And there's always lots of quality in the French league. 
Um, you know, Arsenal signed Gabriel from there and he's coming into the Premier League and he's been a sensation, hasn't he? We signed, we signed Pepe as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that move didn't work out, but I do think Pepe is still a good player and I do believe there are other good players in France and it might be a time for, for clubs around Europe to start looking at League One and seeing what kind of deals they can get done. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, we'll stick on kind of like finance and <laughs> money trying to be found. Speaking to Marcus Rashford, who's got a documentary coming out about feeding Britain's children on Monday, the 21st at 7pm on BBC. Um, as you know, Marcus Rashford put um, together a programme during the summer to ensure that some of the students who were receiving free school meals were still being fed, um, even though they were not actually at school due to the global pandemic. As a result of that, he's continued his work in the community to support young people and feeding young lives. And as a result, there's going to be a documentary exploring the work that he's done, but also looking ahead at some of the challenges that he will continue to face by kind of um, trying to maintain this this campaign. Um, obviously, scoring lots of goals on the pitch at the moment, doing exceptionally well off the pitch. Just wanted to like ensure that people watch that. 7pm on Monday. Um, yeah, really, really good. Um, Cal, I know you are a particularly big fan of, of of Marcus Rashford. Anything you'd like to say on his documentary? Yes, Marcus Rashford, Doctor Marcus Rashford, the son I never had, right there. Um, just immensely proud of this young man. I think he's he's just become, you know, a model professional and a great role model for any young person out there. I just think, yeah, a great great role model for any young person out there. He's bigger than football now. Um, what he's doing is going to have a huge impact on society um, with this child poverty campaign. And, uh, you know, to actually get the ear of the prime minister and to have the government do a U-turn mm. on one of their policies um, for, for someone so young to be able to do that and to make such a huge impact in society, I just think it's amazing. And his campaign's going from strength to strength. There's going to be the documentary aired... Uh, on Monday, I think everybody should watch that. I'm hoping everyone involved with our podcast is going to watch that. I think it's on at 7 p.m. on Monday night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be in the in the group chat, let everybody know what time it is. I might send a little link to the iPlayer or something. I want everyone to watch this. I think this is going to be amazing. Immensely proud of him. And um, I just hope that this campaign grows from strength to strength. Yeah. Um, moving on to our last two stories um, Paul Pogba and Mino Raiola so Manchester United came out talking um, quite strongly against Paul Pogba's agent talking about not wanting to work with them ever again and ensuring that he doesn't have anything to do with Manchester United obviously one of his players is still very much part of um, Manchester United's um, fabric and framework and played very well in the recent um, win away to Sheffield United. Um, Ryan, how do we see this story kind of playing out? You've got arguably United's biggest asset managed by an agent who they absolutely don't like. What's going to be the, the overall outcome of this? I don't know. Um, <laughs> the agent is doing what the agent does, which is protect, protecting his, um, his client. Um, ultimately, um, I think I don't think Pogba's going anywhere. I don't think mm. there's a team that you can afford to pay him um, at, at present, or a team that would need a player like that so much they would be willing to spend that amount of money. It's, but 
you know what this agent, you know what um, Raiola's all about, and he, this is just what he does. He riles up the teams, he riles up the internet to kind of put himself in a better position, put his, put his client in a better position. So mm. what we've seen from him is great agent work. People might not mm. like it, people might read, oh, I know as a football manager player, I, I, I hate agents, they get on my nerves. Mm. But seeing it from a real business point of view, it's, it's just a game. And he's playing it really, really well. You can't hate the player. Well, yeah. I mean, I did a little bit of research recently into uh, sports agents. And I found this uh, article, in, you know, on the Forbes list uh, about the top 50 sports agents in the world. Uh, it was interesting to see Jay-Z in there with his Rock Nation um, sports imprint. He's in there at number 24. But Paul Pogba's agent, Mino Rayola, comes in at number five. The number five richest sports agent in the world he's a hugely powerful man so bigger than football we're talking basketball uh baseball everything that makes money uh Rayola is, is right up there with the best of them and um he he's a controversial character he comes out and he makes statements and he said something that really 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 got under manchester united skin i think uh in the past alex ferguson has come out and, and had stuff to say about Mino Raiola, he didn't get on with him very well. Um, and um, Raiola, there's, there's an article in the Manchester Evening News that talks about Raiola, um, his comments, basically saying that um, Paul Pogba's time has come to an end, um, which, you know, Pogba's had to come out and and uh, and kind of uh, and defend that. Um, so I think the, the specific quote here is is that uh, uh, Rayola um, did an interview with Tuto Sport, uh, a Turin-based outlet, and uh, he was quoted as saying, Pogba is unhappy and the best solution for all concerned is if he moves in the next window. So, you know, if your agent comes out and says something like that, he's kind of throwing you under the bus a little bit. You're still at the club. <laughs> and he's, he's coming out with a public statement like that. So Pogba's had to come out and defend it. Um, you know, and he's talked about, you know, we're always strong together. If you don't know what's going on on the inside, don't talk. I've always fought. I will always fight for Manchester United. But what, what, what the important thing for me where I think, you know, you kind of read between the lines is where he says, the future is far. Today is what matters. And I am 100% involved. So if you read between the lines, they could Paul Pogba be saying that, you know, the future tomorrow is what my agent is talking about. There's something in that. But, you know, today, don't worry about the future. Today, I'm 100% committed to Manchester United. It, it could be possible that, you know, Mino Raiola is working on something and, and uh, maybe Paul Pogba will be off in January. I mean, he has to say that, but at the same time, the, the agent has to say what he can do to get the best price for his player. Um it's just cat and mouse. These are the games that kind of continue to kind of take place between agents, football clubs, and pl- with players just in between and being the kind of intermediary in the middle part of of that, the back and forth. Um, Do you think we're going to see uh, a new contract offer for Paul Pogba and him staying at Manchester United? I don't think he stays because I also think you've got two players there who essentially could play his position in that Donny Van der Beek and Bruno Fernandes. So why else would you have him there? I think if you look at the recent uh, performances like Paul Pogba his, his level for Manchester United hasn't been that great he's been playing for, better for France in the um, in the Nations League than he has been playing for Manchester United in the Premier League and in, in the Champions League um, and maybe yeah maybe 
maybe a bit better for all parties because he's on big wages as well. So, you know, if they can free up those wages, they can bring in somebody else that, that is going to perform better. And maybe Paul Pogba will be a better fit in another club. Maybe going back to Juventus, maybe somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's time for him to move on, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, and our final story is around the the, the Promis, um, the young, well, not even young, the 28-year-old um, forward, um, Quincy Promis. Um, he was uh, allegedly involved in a stabbing incident whilst playing for... Um, whilst in um, the Netherlands. Um, he's returned to training over the last couple of days and held talks with um, senior management at the team, being Edwin van der Sar, Mark Overmars and Eric Ten Hag. Um, the incident took place in July. Um, he spent two days in the, the police station being questioned. Um, there hasn't been any formal charges being put on him as, as such, but he's rumoured to be involved in a stabbing back in the summer. Um a huge story in in Dutch football. Um, have you guys seen much about this story or have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I've caught this article from ESPN here where they talk about Promise being released from jail on Tuesday following his arrest in connection with an alleged involvement in a stabbing that took place in July. So he's been released, but he remains a suspect. Um, so apparently he missed training with Ajax um, following the arrest. Um, but, you know, he's been released. Um, they've got a quote from a lawyer here saying that Promise wasn't even on the site at the time of the incident and he's fully cooperating with the investigation. Um, the Dutch newspaper The Telegraph reported that the stabbing happened in Abkunde, which is just south of Amsterdam, apparently. And apparently it was at a family reunion hosted by Promise uh, on the premises of a company he owns. So if you own a premises and you own the company, and you're having a family reunion, how can you not even be present? <laughs> uh, something's not enough. Um, but, uh, you know, apparently the report also says that uh, Promise got into a fight with one of his relatives there, and he stabbed him. Um, but uh, it seems to me that this investigation is ongoing, although you would have thought that if Promise was in big trouble, he wouldn't be released, you know? Um uh, Ajax haven't actually made a very good statement here. Um, they pretty much have said it's very worrisome, but being accused of something doesn't mean you did it. It's therefore too premature to say anything about it. Um, so, you know, maybe one to, to pay attention to. He looks like a promising player. Um, excuse the pun. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I hope that this isn't something that's going to kind of like mar his career and uh, and hurt his chances of playing for the the national team and playing for for his club because he does look like an absolutely fantastic player and it's just unclear really what's going on here at the moment. Yeah, mm. um, yeah, he's a he's a quality player. I've seen him play a few times. He's a really exciting prospect, um, and we all know far too well that young black players in this country aren't treated the best by the media. So I don't expect much more from. Uh, Media, media overseas when it comes to another young black player. Uh, it's more than likely he has nothing to do with anything, but because his name is involved, sometimes it's just a sprinkle of a celebrity name to sell a few more papers is all that it takes. Hey, if, I remember if, seeing a story once like um, Jermaine Defoe's 
brother involved in blah 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 and it's like this has got nothing to do with Jermaine Defoe 100% <laughs> um, and clickbait it's clickbait it, it, it is just clickbait and for um, in regards to him having owned the building or him not being there it being his own family reunion I know people that have been hours late to their own wedding so it's, it doesn't really that's, that's not out of the ordinary and yeah, this this story just seems like it's been um, sexed up for the media's benefit. So yeah, I hope that um, everything's clarified and he uh, carries on playing because he's got a great career ahead of him. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, just hope it all gets resolved and we're able to move on from this. But yeah, but that was another great episode. Thank you guys for your time today. Um, as always, like we said, play on podcast comes out every two weeks. We have our Instagram page, which is podcast play on. You can also find us at Beer Rap Bant on Instagram. Um, big shout to Ben, who was away today, our normal host, but he'll be back in the new year. And this was our last podcast of the year, guys. Um, so, yeah, just want to wish you guys all the best for the rest of the year. Uh, 2020 has been a bit of a mad one. Um, but, yeah, I just hope that 2021 is even better than the last year that's kind of been here as well. Um, any final thoughts before we sign off, Cal? Not for me. Uh, I'll just say happy holidays to everybody and we'll see you next year. Oh, Ryan? Um, yeah, everyone enjoy your 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 holiday period as best you can, uh, whether you can spend time with your family or not. You can find a way to communicate with people. If you want to spend it alone, I wish you all the best in spending it alone. Just uh, I wish for everyone to stay healthy and, and safe. Yeah, man. Like, Take care. All the best. It is the festive time. Normally we would be with lots of family and doing lots of events that's kind of changed this year with the the um tier rankings over here but wherever you are in the world just have a great break and then yeah we'll see you in 2021 and we just wish everyone a great christmas and a, and a blessed new year yeah peace <laughs>